Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decos, your burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Now, as a coach, author of B is for burnout, not bitch, and host of the Work Life Harmonize podcast, my guest, Dana Mahina, is dedicated to helping people find fulfillment and prevent burnout. After a successful corporate career, coaching executives, she saw a need to bring those same skills to a broader audience. Dana's passionate about supporting the up-and-coming generation through major life transitions. Her signature Settle Smarter method guides individuals through transforming limiting mindsets and behaviors into progressive action. With expertise honed from decades of coaching, she empowers people to settle for nothing less than confident, joyful, and harmonious lives. So Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I love that intro. Yeah. Well, it's all about you. So you're fabulous. And I know that you talk about a lot of things, but you've got this really great title for a book and I know it's just coming out. Tell us a little bit about the book. Tell us about your experience with burnout. And then I got many more questions for you. Well, the book is a lifelong work in progress. I call it an inside out, like that great movie from Pixar, I don't know, a decade ago. It's really all about my experiences, my trials, my tribulations, in particular with the never ending vicious cycle that is burnout city and how to get off the burnout train. So I'm incredibly excited to share this work with others, especially women and up and coming people, marginalized people, people that really don't know what to do with their burnout in a way that's simple and joyful and productive and invaluable for the way they lead their life. So you clearly had your own personal experience with burnout and that's what's led to this book is what I imagine. And can you tell us a little bit about that? And how did you come up with the title? A fever dream. No, one too many burnouts, one too many pneumonias. My leading indicator system was I would get sick and I would ignore it mm-hmm. and I would push through. And then a common everyday cold, mostly pre-COVID would turn into full on blown pneumonia. And so I would end up working from my bed. It was not a pretty sight. It was predictable. It was sort of patternistic. It would happen all the time because I just wouldn't follow the signs my body was giving me. And instead of a couple of days with a cold, it was weeks and weeks with this huge pneumonia struggle. So that was really how I learned that maybe there's a better way. And it took years and years and years to get there. The title of the book 
really came to me because I had already worked on the Settle Smarter methodology. I had trademarked that. I had a first book come out, Stop Settling, Settle Smart. I talked about trade-offs and how to prioritize your life and how to make those conscious trade-offs. What I wasn't addressing fully, it was maybe a few chapters in book one, was the vicious cycle of burnout. And I have noticed, especially through and post-COVID, so many of us have turned ourselves into a 24-7 shop. And as women, we're labeled a lot. And maybe I'm feeling really exhausted and tired and I don't have enough help and I don't know how to ask for it. I'm not a bitch. I'm just burned out. In other words, when you're burned out, all of your worst qualities come out and you're basically saying, if you're acting like that, it's not your fault. It's not who you really are. It's burnout speaking. Yes, absolutely. I need you, Dr. Sharon. What you described about getting sick over and over again and still working from your bed, I have heard many times before, and I'm going to now test my theory on you. I want to ask you this. So on this show, we talk about how there's three burnout profiles or personalities, and we talk about the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. The thinker is basically somebody who is very anxiety prone, always worried about the future and not doing a good enough job. We've got the feeler who tends to be like your people pleasers and they have a hard time with boundaries. And you have the doer who's on that perpetual hamster wheel that is constantly looking to do more and more and more. And what I found from my anecdata is that it's the doers who have the physiological symptoms, the kind of physiological breakdown when it shows up as burnout, right? Like the getting sick and then finding yourself hospitalized or working from bed with pneumonia for me is like an, a site, a tip off to the fact that you're a doer. Am I right on that? Only a hundred percent right. Is there a way to be more right? Okay. So I'll tell you why I think that is, but then you can share from your experience what you think. I find that with the doers, they're so focused on getting stuff done and accomplishments that they ignore anything that could potentially be an obstacle. And if you're getting sick, that's just an obstacle. It's just something that you have to overcome. And so you're not really paying attention to that. You're like, no, I got to power through. I got to get through this because I still got stuff to do. Whereas I feel like the other two types have a different version of burnout that happens. And um, not exactly sure how to describe what they go through in terms of symptoms. I think it is maybe more of like what we think of as generically like the brain fog. And there is still a lot of the same kind of generic symptoms, but I think specifically for the doers, I find that they push so hard that B is for breakdown. Been there, done that, another B. So yeah, what happens is for me and a lot of the people I coach, they are high achievers. And in most cases, especially what I find in women, especially right now, we have overachievers. And that's why I wrote the book from overdrive to thrive, because you think of your car in overdrive and that motor is running. You hear it. You maybe smell the burn. You don't pull over, (laughs) you got to get somewhere, you ignore those signs and then, oh, wow, your engine is done. And it's just 
like thousands of dollars that could have been prevented if you just pulled over right away when the first sign hit. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that analogy. And I'm curious, what was that for you? Because you found yourself in a perpetual pattern of getting sick, of continuing to work from bed. What happened that you eventually decided that it's time to do something different? That's an excellent question. Most things that I find with high and overachieving people come in perfect storms. So my daughters were starting to get into their teens. They were starting to say, yo, mom, this is ridiculous. Look at yourself. So the mirror of your own children, especially daughters and moms. So for those of your listeners that are feeling this, I know what it's like. They're really in your face about your own shortcomings. Because I was managing significant amounts of people at work in one company, I had over hundred people on my team internationally, many of whom were overachievers and also getting sick, leading by example, not just telling them what to do. You take time off and I'm working from bed with a headset on video looking like crap. I really wanted to start living by example, leading by example, because people follow what you do, not what you say. So those were two pieces of the yes. perfect storm. The third piece really was, I suppose I'll go back to your thinker feeler. It was maybe engaging my brain. I'm very strategic, much like yourself. And I really was recognizing the pattern and that there is a way to get that quick hit that, oh, it's coming. Maybe now's a good time to do something about it and future proof it. And that's the thinking piece. The feeling piece was really just something has to give, something has to give. So maybe it was a big blend of all those things. I always appreciate a strategic thinker. And I love how you've analyzed this and this idea of future-proofing things and noticing the patterns and stepping in and thinking about what you have to do different. That's excellent. And I think a great tip for people. Funny story, you talked about teenagers. I had a guest on the show probably a couple of years ago now, and she didn't have a teenager. She had a two-year-old and she talks about how she was like super exhausted, working ridiculous shift, just constantly on. And so she describes this one day, she's kind of like on the couch, she's on a call and her daughter who's two years old comes over and the daughter says to her, mommy, you're stupid. And it was like, okay, reflection, right? Like she's saying something about me. I need to take a look at what is she saying? And then it hit her and she's like, this is stupid. What am I doing? Why am I working so hard? Why am I killing myself? I've got a two-year-old, like, let's get it together. You know? And so I think it's funny how we have kids who sometimes help us kind of see ourselves in the way that we need to be seen, which is not how we usually think of our kids. We're always thinking about how we need to help them. And anyway, so it's just funny to hear you talk about teenagers because now I have one. And let me tell you, <laughs> they're a handful. They are the ultimate error. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I got a couple of questions for you. First of all, you talk about this mindset of stop settling. And that seems central to your book. Could you explain more about what this mindset entails and why it's really important for people today? Yeah. So the mindset is that we have to make conscious trade-offs. And again, that's maybe back to the thinker. Ideally it is. 
if you don't know what trade-offs are even available to you, how are you going to choose what's best? So you have to actually take a step back, take a beat, look up, look out, look down, get a 360 and figure out what kinds of trade-offs are available to me. Usually they are available, but we're just powering through. So we don't even feel the options or see the options or know the options. Then the second thing is to actually weight them. Again, this is strategy. So free coaching for your listeners, weight the options. So give it a score. Is it an A, B, C, D, F? Is it a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways, a happy face, a sad face, a neutral face? Use whatever scoring system you like. Write it down, do it in your head, do it on your phone. It doesn't matter how you do it, but do it and weight the options. And then what I love to say, I work with a lot of really amazing people that come from either tech backgrounds or data science, and they test everything, they experiment. So what I've learned over the years is that experimentation is your friend. Try it out. You don't have to buy it immediately. You don't have to get married to all these ideas. Check them out. See what happens. What do you like? What don't you like? What needs tweaking and micro adjusting? You don't have to go all in on everything all the time. Yet again, high and overachievers, we go all in without even looking. It's ready, fire, aim. So my suggestion is how to get the aim engaged without spending a whole lifetime on it. I love that. That's such a great tip. And certainly something that isn't just about the settling thing, but it's really for folks who tend to be maybe less strategic. I know there's a lot of creative thinkers who just kind of go with the whim of things, or there's the people who are just focused on achievements and they're not maybe as strategic, they're just kind of more impulsive. I think it's a really great strategy to consider what your options are so that you're making the right decision, you're spending your resources in a way that's going to benefit you. And I would actually add to that and say, after you've done something, it's also good to go back and rethink like, how did I spend my time over the last day, week, month, quarter, whatever it is. And what do I have to show for that? Because sometimes we get into the weeds so much and we don't really go back and analyze what we've done. It's important to see like, am I getting the results? Is this working? Or maybe do I need to rethink my strategy? Maybe I'm just spending too much time on things that don't actually lead to the kinds of results that I want to have. So I definitely appreciate you mentioning that. Now, I know that when it comes to this topic, you find that there are some myths, some things that people maybe think are true and maybe they're not really that true. Maybe there's just some ideas that people have and you're here to really set us straight on those things. So can you share with us, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you're thinking about your topic? What are the things that people are getting wrong? Yeah, my favorite one is busyness is productive. Just working your ass off makes you super, super productive. It's actually a myth. Busyness does not equal productivity. It equals busy. So if you're heavy lifting, working super hard, just like crushing it, that term crushing it, a lot of young people in particular say, I'm crushing it. Maybe you are. Is it productive? Are you getting the high value things done? And are you even considering the creatives love this, by the way, give me the creatives all day long. They're really good at experimentation and getting out of the box. They teach me a lot of things. So are you choosing whatever is the least amount of effort possible for the maximum productivity 
maximum return and maximum yield on that effort and those resources. And that's actually a really good tip because you're talking about effort. And one of the things that we know is when you're burned out, the primary symptom is exhaustion. And why are we so exhausted? Maybe because we're too busy and we're spending all of our resources on something that doesn't yield the results. And so you're saying, how can we be really strategic? Think about how you can spend less energy, less effort on these tasks and yield the most out of it. Maybe you can even share an example of what that might look like. Yeah. So a lot of times people will have to-do lists. I'm not sure listeners, do you have a to-do list? I bet you do, whether it's written down or just that tape that runs in your head. And what I find with high achievers and overachievers is they tackle the list in the order they have it, instead of again, Mm. taking a minute and saying, wait a minute, what's high, medium, low priority? And what one thing on this list is not that big of an effort, but it's gonna just produce so much joy for my family, or it's gonna give me that award at work that I've been looking for. And maybe it's, gosh, I've really wanted to get into the community and give back, but I never have enough time oh my gosh, it's three Sundays from now and I can go to the bake sale for an hour and really get involved. I happen to have that Sunday free and I see it on my calendar and dump the guilt. Guilt gets in the way of this a lot of times I find. And so that would be my suggestion is relook at your list in a new way. So we know that busyness doesn't actually lead to what we're looking for when it comes to productivity. And that's especially important if you're an overachiever because- Let's face it, you're looking to achieve a lot of things. So that's the first myth. What's the second one? The second one is the more that you give, the more you receive. That's the tip for our feelers, for sure. So if you're a giver, fixer, pleaser, nurturer, many women and men too, I'm married to one. Just know that receiving is not bad. And in fact, receiving fills your cup and receiving re-energizes you and receiving helps with the depletion and the energy that you have lost because you've given all you've got to give to others. And now all of a sudden there's nothing left. You're operating on fumes. So giving is beautiful. Receiving is beautiful too. And I do want to say a couple of things. One is that sometimes people have a hard time with receiving because they didn't receive in childhood and they become self-reliant and it's a foreign language. So they feel uncomfortable. It's not familiar. And our brain is always looking for what's familiar. And so it's really hard for them to accept something from somebody else. So I know we talk a lot about feelers and being people pleasers, but I think there's often a reason for it. I think there's a reason for why we're wired the way that we are. And I just want to acknowledge that because if you know that about yourself, it's really an opportunity for you to work on your core beliefs. And even though you've had those childhood experiences, it's not something that has to be set in stone and you can absolutely change those. And I don't know, Dana, if you've had experience with something like that, And you can share, but I mean, I've worked with clients who have talked about 
the guilt of receiving, the feeling uncomfortable to receive, like I don't deserve it. Like it's about intimacy and I don't want to be intimate with you because I don't even know you. And it's like this whole thing. It becomes this huge thing when really the person's just trying to show that they appreciate you or whatever. And then I also find it's interesting how people have rules about when it's okay and when it's not okay. So I just had a client who shared, well, if it's for my birthday and I get a present, I'm still uncomfortable, but it's not the end of the world because you're supposed to get presents on your birthday. But if it's not my birthday and they give me a present, then I can't because it's like too uncomfortable. So we have a lot of rules. You might guess that he's a thinker, right? But we have these things. And so I'm curious what your take is on that. Oh, all of the above. You just nailed it. So yeah, I have a really hard time receiving. And as coaches, what I have always found is we teach what we most need to learn. And I've been coaching for the last eight years out on my own. And I had hired and trained and mentored and unfortunately sometimes fired thousands of people in my corporate career over 30 year period, literally thousands of people. And so what I have always found is I'm 55 now, I'm starting to get it that it is not only okay to receive, it's vital. And something that someone said to me a long time ago, it was my cousin, I was very young. He said, you know, when you don't receive somebody's gift or present graciously, you actually take away their ability to give. I didn't get it. I was too young, but I get it now. (laughs) Yeah. And that was really the second thing that I was going to say is we only think about the receiving end of things, but we don't think about the person who's giving and what we're doing when we can't receive it is that we're blocking that energy. There's an energy exchange. It's like, thank you. I see you. I appreciate you. Please, I want to give this to you. And if you're like, no, 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 I can't. It's uncomfortable. I don't want it. Please take it away. I don't know what to do with these feelings. Then it's really blocking that connection and that relationship and that opportunity to be seen. So yeah, you might not have grown up with parents who we're able to meet your needs. And maybe that's why it's so uncomfortable, but it's such an opportunity at this point in the game to really work on yourself. And I'm curious, Dana, what allowed you to finally be able to see it differently? Well, we teach what we most need to learn. You can't expect others to flip the script if you don't yourself. And so the way it really became from a feeling and just powering through and doing into thinking for me was I was really frustrated, imagine this, that others were taking away the gift of receiving from me because I want to give. Hello, Dana Mahina, wake up and smell the reality. So that was it for me. It just kept happening. And I realized my own frustration was the issue. So Again, if you I love that. get yourself into walking the walk and not just talking the talk, things really start to transpire for others. They follow what you do. Things get easier. And for me, I almost like it. I don't quite like receiving yet. I almost like it. I could see it. It's coming. I like that. Maybe that's your next book. Art is for receiving. (laughs) To ring to it. You could do a whole series where like every letter is like something. B is for burnout. Anyway, (laughs) this is such a great point. I love what you shared about not just that you not receiving is taking away from their ability to give. But the fact is that if you flip it around and you've ever tried to give something to somebody and they can't accept it, 
how that feels to you because then that's when you really get it. That's when you get it. That's a great tip. Okay, so that's the second myth. What's the third? The third one is that super achievers must sacrifice their own joy. Okay, so what's the truth here? The truth is without joy, there is no true achievement. Think about it, feel it. Okay. Do it. <laughs> Take Dr. Sharon's advice. If you're going to achieve without joy, is it really achievement and who wins and who loses? So my prescription always is go for the triple win. Me before we fill your cup, get the joy factor going, figure out what lights you up. It will light up others on the path. And it will lead right back into myth number one. You will be way more productive with joy than without it. So can you tell us the triple win again? It's we before me. Me before we. So you fill up your own cup. You get joy. You figure out what will make you light up. You get excited. You figure out the joy factor for yourself. And you start achieving for yourself and others. Maybe it's your team at work. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a community cause. I mean, heck, maybe it's just at your workout place and everybody else feels your joy and they feel the joy and they join in on the joy factor and everybody starts winning. And the byproduct is there's usually a third recipient of the win in terms of joy. Maybe it's the company's bottom line. Maybe it's the neighborhood center gets built because now everybody's revved up and joy filled and productive. It I mean, it just flows and flows and goes and goes. So fill up your own cup first, even if it's for a minute. Some of us have such a hard time with this. Just start with you a little bit. And then what I say to my clients is it's me, then we, then country. Okay. So this is actually really important. We talk about how you need to find the joy and what's important, but What's happening is that this might be misconstrued. And so I want to just get this clarified. So in the short term, I think it is true that you can achieve something without joy. And I've actually say it's not even just in the short term. I think even in the long term, you can. But ultimately, you come to a point in your life, and sometimes it's after 30 years, where you say to yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And now, because I work with a lot of people in their fifties, they're at this point in their life where they're asking those questions, right? They're in that existential crisis where they're just starting to ask themselves, like, when is it time to quit? When is enough enough? What else can I do? They're now in that joy phase. Now it's like, I have ticked all the boxes. I have accomplished all the things. I'm successful. I've made money. I've raised my kids. I've done all these things, but like, it's my turn. It's time for me to do my passion project. It's time for me to do something that's more fulfilling. And so I feel like that can happen. You can achieve a lot without the joy, but at some point it's going to catch up with you. And for some people, it catches up with them really early because they get burned out. And for other people, it's just something that they push against and they push against and they push against for three decades, but eventually they get there. And my question to you, if you're listening to this is, is it better to wait 30 years to come to the exact same conclusion? Or can you listen to what Dana's saying 
and ask yourself these questions now because you will save yourself a lot of grief. And I know that a lot of times we get into these professions because that's how we were raised. That's what the expectation was. We want to be successful. We're chasing success. We're waiting to get to a point where other people perceive us the way we want them to perceive us or whatever it is that's gotten you into this pickle. And then this is really the opportunity for you to step back and ask yourself, is there joy in this or am I just doing this for security? Am I just doing this to please other people? Am I living through other people's expectations or am I doing this because I really love it, you know? And like I said, I think you're going to get to that at some point, but asking the question now can save you three decades in the process. I would just love to add one thing to that. That's spot on the younger generations. They expect joy. They are not settling for workaholicism, yes. right? They expect yes. joy and wake up and learn from them because they get it. Yes. There may be some annoyance that they want to tell you how to run your company and their day one on the job. That's annoying. Let's just face it. I mean, I've been a multiple time CEO in Silicon Valley. That's annoying. However, those generations have taught me about joy and I embrace that. And I have taught them about, for example, strategy or how to lead people through change. They have taught me about joy. And I just have to shout out the younger generations, including, oh my gosh, I'm going to say it. My own daughters now 19 and 23, they expect joy. And if anyone works in a toxic workplace where you get a ton of stuff done and there's no joy, that's not good. They're out. Yeah. They're not going to stand for it. And I think that's actually a really good thing because I think we're like the burnout generation, right? We're the people who will just take it. And this is why you're seeing burnout in droves. And I think with this new generation, they're coming in with a different kind of energy, different expectations. I think they have a lot of things to learn, but I also think that we have a lot to learn from them. And they're the ones who are essentially, I don't know if it's like wisdom from learning from our mistakes, or they were just born with this through osmosis, but they understand the idea of following your values and that life is too short to waste it on work where you're not appreciated or where you're not passionate and it doesn't have a sense of purpose. Like I'm always amazed at how People who are like 22 are talking to me about this means a lot and I won't take a job unless I find like it has this really strong sense of purpose for me. And I'm like, you know, when I was in my 20s, everybody was like, oh, it pays the bills and I'll make a lot of money and I'll be really successful and whatever. I think they're definitely on the right path. And I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation because I do think that there's a lot to be learned from that. And Dana, let me tell you something. We have learned so much already in our short time together that you're just bringing all the gems in. So thank you so much for sharing with us about this myth about busyness and how we need to not just give, but to receive. And that we have to find the joy in our work because, hey, life's too short. And if you don't, you will burn out. Thank you. Last gems that you want to share with our audience. Yeah. If you feel like you're burned out, it's okay. It's not a life crisis. You can get out of burnout. You got yourself into it. You can get yourself out of it. It does take tools and tips and life hack tricks and traps to avoid. 
And that's why this book is in your hands. So I appreciate you reading it. And more importantly, if you want to give me a gift, because I'm learning to receive like all of you are, try out the tips, test them, see how they work for you, share them with friends. Let's get off this burnout vicious cycle. We can do it together on shows like this. I love it. Dana, you're such a giver and you have so much knowledge, expertise, and wisdom that I really, really appreciate it. We will definitely link to your book. I want everybody to grab a copy and read it because as you just heard, Dana is amazing. And I really want to thank you for coming on the show to share not just your book, but all of your wisdom. Thank you for having me. It was amazing and it went so fast. I appreciate you. I know we'll have to have you back. Now, for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you're ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye everybody. Mm -hmm.